time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Get fired up. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Back with a bang. You heard that it is the SOCV. Brian Campbell, of course, the voice that you hear. Mixed Martial Arts Edition. As we're back in the thickness of it all, we're going to take a look back at UFC Vegas and Gilbert Burns' rise to the top of the welterweight rankings. And look ahead to this Saturday's UFC 250 card. Not only the Lioness is back to make a little bit of more history if she can get a victory, but it's Bantamweight night. It's it's Bantamweight night, and I feel all right. Saturday is that night. We've also got a great interview for you today. Speaking of champ champs, yes, a two-division champion with Bellator, the great, the master, Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader, Shibaka Sokura. Yeah, Shubaka Sakura. He's going to stop by the show. Uh, good thing he never picked Master as his nickname. All right. Hey, let me bring in my co-host because he's the best in the world at what he does. You never know, by the way. We're going to get Rashad. We're going to get Sugar. What's the difference? Who's going to be on the show today? Sugar likes to Sugar likes to have fun. See, Rashad is a laid-back guy, but Sugar likes to go out there and have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Give, give me Sugar today. He is a UFC Hall of Famer, the former 205-pound champion. Always sweet, never sour. That strong ass tower of ayahuasca power. It is Sugar Rashad Evans, my man. How is it? Vasing was good. Listen, I think you should be the only person that ever introduced me. I mean, every single time, it just gets better and better, man. Oh, oh yeah, take that, back. take that, Bruce Buffer. Uh, <laughs> hey, we got a great show today. And we want to bring smiles, laughter, information, entertainment, all that great stuff. But, Rashad, we also don't want to uh, be uh, ignorant to what's going on on these streets these days. Serious stuff from, from, from people awakening in a good way to being more mindful of, of treatment of each other. But at the same time, just craziness abound everywhere. How, how are you navigating this current, you know, on top of the quarantine all the crazy stuff we got going on from rioting to uh, to protesting. Where are you at right now? Man, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, um, you know, you, you always want to stand on the side of right. Uh, it's just that, you know, w- with the whole thing um, now with the protesting and then going into riots, it's just so hard to <laughs> it, it's so hard to find a place and, um, and 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 really put your flag in as far as, you know, uh, like the right thing to do is everyone staying united but at the same time everyone has to come together and the 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 convolution of of the the mixing the rioters with the the the, the protesters it's a dangerous situation and i just hope that um i hope that you know those people that come to protest uh are able to be heard over the rioters that that come and take precedent you know because that's what's been happening yeah, it's 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 crazy. There's a lot of opportunism going on, unfortunately. Yeah, a lot, a lot. 
people making it political, people coming in and just causing mayhem when the whole point is is to wake the heck up you know wake the heck up and i think for you know i can only speak for my journey in this uh, you know as a caucasian male in this and it's like you know there's a lot of people like me who like hate racism but don't really speak up about it and i think this is a a a, another big step forward in waking us up you know and it sucks that someone like george floyd uh you know has to has to suffer to, to get us closer to, to, to healing and understanding. But I think that, uh, you know, the good, you know, that could come out of this, it can be huge. I mean, I think people need to, to, to obviously lean so much more into love and grace and humility and uh, looking out for each other rather than uh, clutching our purses and yeah. looking away from each other. I, th- I, th- I think that the best thing about the whole, the protests and everything was the fact that, You've seen everyone come out, you know, um, everyone of all colors, everyone of all uh, different walks of life all came out to support one cause. And that was just for uh, justice. And I think that was, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I pulled out of all of that. Uh, the riots are very unfortunate. All those people losing their businesses. Um, very unfortunate. And it's such a sad thing to see that happen. Um, but, you know, we need to come together like we did in, the, in those uh, protests and just be peaceful and, and try to see. Like you said, the the, the common vibe with each other. Absolutely. Keep the combat for inside of the cage. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Rashad, we, we, there's always a, a good comes out of bad and of the bad that has been this uh, COVID quarantine, you know, hope everyone's staying healthy, of course, in that category. Uh, MMA has been getting pushed to the forefront. It's still the only game in town as we speak right now, even though boxing starting to schedule some stuff pro sports leagues starting to come together but it's given even you you and i a little bit more shine i don't know if people are tuning in to cbs sports hq your live 24 7 streaming network all week to set up these fights but how about midnight eastern time after the big fights on saturday night the boys here from uh state of combat getting a little bit of close-up where we go 30 minutes yeah. saturday after gilbert win not bad not, not, not bad listen, I, I love it man i think that we should do that more often i think that you know having those quick uh digesting uh, conversations after the, the fights help put things in perspective for the Mondays. Absolutely. So as long as these uh, big, you know, these quote unquote bigger sports are, are, are chilling out for the moment, <laughs> uh, please tune in and uh, watch what we are doing. And Rashad, uh, we got to start right there. Last Saturday's USC Vegas fight night card. Once again, you were, you knew it. You saw it, you said it, you spoke it, you received it, you believed it. That Gilbert Burns is the future of this welterweight division. Uh, six wins in a row. But nothing compares to going in there against a, a former champion in Tyron Woodley and just straight up dismantling, disarming, and in every category, it was a winner for Gilbert Burns. And oh, by the way, UFC today made him the number one contender at 170 pounds. Deserving in your eyes, Rashad? Absolutely. I mean, that, that performance that he put on against Tyron was uh, amazing. Uh, just, just a systematic, um, just a demolition, you know. Uh, the, the way he picked Tyron apart, to kept the pressure on, was able to fight in all facets of the the, the, the game. Um, and, and look, you know, at the end of the day that he started a fight, I mean, the fact that he didn't take too much damage at all. And, you know, the Tyron uh, has some heavy heat. And he was able to catch Gilbert a couple of times, but for the most part, just not enough. You know, Tyron was trying to go for that one shot. And uh, once um, Gilbert had him, just not knowing what he was going to do, you know, going from from the feet to the head, just with confusion. Uh, it just kept Tyron on the back of his heels and just kind of kept him in that zone where he didn't feel comfortable 
throwing anything, you know. And then when it came time for him to impose his wrestling game, he wasn't able to do it. You know, it was surprising to me that uh, Gilbert seemed like the bigger fighter, you know, and that's something that I didn't foresee going into the fight. I thought, you know, at the most part, Tyron would have a size advantage, but he, he didn't, you, you know, he just, he, he wasn't able to control the fight or get the fight where he wanted to. But I mean, to, Gilbert's growth in in this game has, has started in my opinion with, with his um, activity outside of the cage in the grappling department, you know, getting that confidence. I remember he was at that crossroads in his career where he didn't know if he was going to go up or down, but it was his grappling competition, finding a love just for competing again that got him back on the focus path. He's won eight of nine since 2016. Uh, you, it's the full Monty. It's, I mean, he'd never gone five rounds before, and he goes out there and does it with ease. Uh, as much as, you know, we're going to talk about Woodley in a minute and how much, you know, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, he has declined. I mean, a lot of that conversation is fueled by Gilbert Burns never let him get let, get comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. And Gilbert Burns was all, all up in that ass from start to finish. Uh, I love seeing somebody, you know, go full bloom in front of you. I love seeing the, you know, the cocoon open and the wings come on. To see him at 33 be fully, fully evolved. And then mention no more cutting weight. That has made the difference. Uh, Rashad, I can only cheer for cheer for fight through that hell that you talk about off the time that you know can can affect so many parts of your of your mental, your brain, your physical to go through that that cut more guys natural weight they are and just figure out how to be the best they can. There's another theory for that conversation right there with Gilbert. Absolutely. And I think that Gilbert is a good testament to what can happen when you fight at your right weight class. You know, here's a guy who uh, almost ended his career trying to fight one weight class below and and was uh, able to make it, but was just mediocre at that weight class. And then you just see him just grow into his full potential, being able to uh, be as big as he needs to be. Let us grow the way that, it, it was meant to grow and, um, you know, not, not putting that, that beating on your body when, when it comes to the, the hydration level, it prolongs your career because every single time you step into the cage, you're half cocked as far as on a hydration level, you're taking these blows and your brain can't absorb those shocks. So therefore, you're, you're doing more damage to your brain and to your head. And when you do damage to your head, that dizziness that you cause it doesn't yeah, go away. Yeah. Did you say, did I hear a half cock in there? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of cock blocking tactics coming on here. Yeah. Cock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound like John Fury for a second. You're a Yankee rooster, my friend. You're a hatch cock. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm a fine American hatch cock. Shad, the idea now is who gets Usman. I think that we can't mention matchmaking in this current empty arena quarantine without realizing that without a live gate, which Dana, of course, Dana White says could cost the company upwards of a hundred million this year. I'm sorry. You're not going to see the super fights. You know, Kamaru can try to build his star all he wants and call out Conor McGregor. It ain't going to happen. Uh, we're also not going to see Masvidal Usman, whether you think that's the promotion protecting Masvidal, thinking he has a brighter marketing future by not going in there against a savage wrestler, or whether that's just a hard fight to make because of the money. So because of that setup, and because, oh, by the way, Leon Edwards has eight straight wins with the UFC as a marketable fighter. I feel like Gilbert Vern's going to slide right in there and get get him some Kamaru this summer. 
And I have to be honest, it kind of makes sense. He's not going to demand a huge pay, payday for this. He, he held behind him. He also has a style where he's so good on the ground from a jujitsu standpoint. I wonder if that could cancel out what Kamaru does. And we see another banger like Kamaru Colby turned out to be. Sign the fight. I'm here for this. Yeah, I think that um, you, you're right. Uh, an aspect, I think, I think that uh, Gilbert is the next contender in line. And, um, you know, being the number one contender, it, it, it makes sense for him to be the next in line. It's just an unfortunate situation, you know, coming from where I'm coming from, you know, watching both of these guys develop and be, be each other's training partners. Um, even for this fight, uh, you know, Kamaru got a couple rounds in with with, um, with Gilbert for this fight. So, they, you know, they, they, still, they still were training together. Um, but you know, they, they, uh, I guess they got to do what they got to do. Um, it's I know you don't like that. You don't like, I know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It, 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 it cause you know why it, 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 it makes it so that things get weird. No matter what, it gets weird because at some point you have to choose a side, no matter if you don't want to or not, you have to choose a side and the fighters, they're going to see whose side you're choosing. So no matter what, you're always going to be that guy that chose that side. You know what I'm saying? You chose a side. There's got to be an A side in every relationship, every fight, every yeah. whatever. You're going to figure out within your own gym who they value more. You're Like you're saying, you're going to see, well, some teammates start to, to drift to one side. Yeah, naturally it's going to create a uh, some sort of divide. They seem to both be such respectful uh, guys who get it, right? It doesn't seem to be the kind of uh, potential – Molotov cocktail that was John Jones versus Rashad Evans well, within the Jackson Wing camp, but you I, never well, know. I, well, here's the thing about it. I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. And, and here's the thing why I wouldn't say that because um, you know, uh, um, tomorrow he's training. He's training in Denver right now. Oh, and he and he went to Denver to train with with Trevor. Your coach Trevor Whitman, the the, the master Whitman. of glove making. Yes, yes him on Joe yes. Rogan last week. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if decision was a decision to uh, make it seem as if like it was like he's not part of the team no more, whatever the case may be. But you see what I'm saying? So there, 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 there can there can be uh, some drama that that gets brewed off of this whole thing. So the home gym for everyone, including you, is is. It's hard knocks three six five. That's that's what the gym we're referencing. Yeah, right? Lord, yeah. Uh, well, it was hard knocks. Runs that is that a Henry Hoof operation? It's Henry Hoof and Greg Jones. Okay. okay, they run that. So, so tomorrow might be um, moonlighting with with uh, surrogate father, Coach Trevor Whitman here. Right, right. He might be training with, with Coach uh, Trevor. Yeah. So that's interesting. All right. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's 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 getting very interesting. It's getting very interesting, and. Um, you know, I think I think uh, for the most part, before things get to the point where they get things get said, and you know how uh, things can be, I think they need to have a conversation, just you know, to decide on how things are going to be. Um, you know, I mean, they they were teammates for so long. You know, we we came up together. At the end of the day, we came from gym to gym together, literally. You know, we went from started at Imperial, went to uh, Black Zanes, went to Jocko, and then. Uh, three six five, and then now at Stanford. So uh, 
Uh, I forgot even Combat Club. You know what I'm saying? There, there's about five, six gyms. We were all with together, and we all went from each gym as a team, and uh, we all needed each other. And uh, now we're to the point where we sharpen each other's swords so t- so sharp that the last one's at the top. So I guess it has to be what it has to be. There it is. Uh, just to repair history here and put the timeline in place, when you left Jack and Wink, to get red, well, you did before the build to the John Jones fight. Did you go directly to Trevor Whitman? Uh, I went to Trevor Whitman first. I was at Trevor Whitman for the uh, for the Tiago Silva and um, okay, okay, yeah. And so then, when you were facing Jones, were you still with them or were you Black Zillions? No, when I went to, when I faced Jones, I was over at the Black Zillions. That's when I went over to these Black Zillions. I went over to the Black Zillions after. When I was supposed to fight uh, Shogun and I got injured, then I went over to and I started my own thing because that's when John Jones stepped in for me and his whole reign continued. And I went and started my own thing in Florida. Baby girl, put it on me. I want you to put it on me. Yes, I want you. I want you because that's the way I want you to do it because that's the bottom line. Uh, Shout out, by the way, of course, to Coach Trevor Whitman, who uh, I loved hearing him break down on Rogan why he wants to keep a tight circle. You know, he broke down – he used to be a big gym owner. Then there was the Nate Marquardt uh, uh, TRT situation. Things fell apart, and now he keeps that tight circle. It's Rose. It's Justin Gaethje from day one. Uh, guy's a genius. He really is, man. He really is. The things that he's able to do with equipment is 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 ridiculous. His mind and, and the patents that he has made for this equipment line, it's state-of-the-art. It's going to change the game. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, he's a smart man. Uh, and I, you know, if that's Kamaru's thinking of, look what he did to Justin Gaethje in terms of taking a, a savage who wanted to be the savage of all savages and just kind of, you know, shifted him a little bit this way and this way. And then you yeah. see guys. Well, I mean, and, 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 there's a, and there's a level too, like, like, so one thing, like you, you see guys like Conor McGregor and Habib and a lot of these guys who make it to the next level and stay there and, and they had their teams built around them. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what Kumaru wanted more of. He wanted more of a person where it was a, a team around for him. I mean, it's good to get to work with the team, but it's even better when you have the team around you. That's when you're getting all the focus and everything is, is for you. And that's how boxers do it and things like that. Um, it just doesn't happen like that in MMA too often until you reach the highest level. And I think Kamara was at that level now, uh, being a champion two times over, you know, he needs to have the isolation and have, you know, guys brought in for him and have the specific training just for That's him. what I thought was interesting when I, when we had Anthony Pass on this show ahead of his fight with Donald Cerrone, where he said because of the quarantine, he was only able to go to the gym with, you know, two coaches at a time, no other fighters, and he never had – I've never had this much one-on-one instruction where I've gotten it. What they're trying to tell me, I get it. And it's like, and it was like a revelation to him late in his career. And maybe we'll see. I mean, I understand the theory of a super gym. Like, you know, I've been in ATT. They got, they got killers everywhere you look. It's like, you could spar with that guy and that guy. I get it. But there is something to be said for, for that tight circle and uh, that, that one-on-one attention for shot. It's interesting, interesting stuff. All right. uh, Let's hit on Tyron Woodley, 38 years old. Uh, look, here's what my eyes tell me. It wasn't physical. It was mental. Mm. And, and I'm learning, Rashad, with all full respect to fighters on the decline of their career on the way out, I'm learning that uh, you can be washed physically where you just don't have it, where you're Chuck Liddell and you're out there to try to win every fight, but you're just getting KO'd. And you can also be washed from the standpoint of, 
I can't pull the trigger anymore. And I saw a guy in Tyron Woodley. It was frustrating. I picked him to win. I believe that he can win. I don't really think he was as physically compromised as some believe at 38. I just think that it's just not there anymore. The ability to go after it, the urgency. If he's not able to dictate the terms of a fight at this point against elite competition, I've now fights in a row, 10 full rounds, where he kind of just is okay with that. And I, again, I'm not going to take anything away from Gilbert Burns. I'm not going to take anything away from the heart that I know is inside Tyron Woodley. But I didn't see in the last two fights a reason for me to say he should keep on, Rashad. I mean, yeah, would I love him against Colby Covington in a loser's bracket fight? Of course. I'd love Tyron Woodley against anybody. I love me some T-Wood. I don't think he I, – I don't see it. I don't think he has it anymore, Rashad. I don't think he wants it. This was a, a humbling performance in a bad way from my standpoint. But I'm just some guy with wearing a headset and basement what did you see on saturday i've seen a lot of what you've seen uh you know when i look at t wood i see a lot of similarities with myself you know um and, and by that i mean you know when i started to uh, uh fall in that place where competing started to feel different with me it it all came from what was happening on the outside of the cage you know all the things that i had to deal with on the outside of the cage it hurt me uh, it hurt my performance in the cage because I, I was no longer, um, no longer the complete my performance inside the cage, you know, and different things that I didn't really think that would have had tremendous effect on me, you know. Um, I got a divorce and I moved to the other side of the country, you know. I wasn't with my kids all the time, and all those things that were part of the winning formula were not part of my new formula. And some of it worked, but some of it didn't. And for a while I was able to keep on going, but for the most part, when it came time for me to refuel myself and being able to have to reset myself and bring me back, I was never able to get that like I was before. And um, it was it was due to my, my personal life and the way things changed that I never, never adjusted to. And I mentally didn't adjust to it because I was trying to, to block it out. And I think, uh, when, when I look at Tyron, I, I, that's what I see in him. You know, I, I know he's gone through some personal situations. He's gone through, you know, a uh, situation with with his uh, relationship with his wife and, and they had a divorce and everything like that. And I know what that brings to the table. Um, you know, he's got all those other things, all those other things uh, in the fire that he's trying to to keep going too. you know, with his acting and his TV thing going. But it, it's just so many irons in a fire. You have, you know, an emotional situation that he's got with his family situation and, and whatnot and everything that brings. So he, he's in a different place altogether. And I think for him, I, I think he may need to just pull back and just and just uh, take some time off and decide if this is really what he wants to do. Because, you know, he's tremendously talented. You know, physically speaking, he still got it. But um, mentally being delayed inside the outgun is is no fun. And uh, it's no way to be because that's when you get Yeah, it. and I, I randomly enough, Rashad, trying to collect sound for this show, saw your incredibly uh, humble and open and emotional interview you gave after being stopped by Glover Teixeira, where yeah. it was, there's some similarities there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, like, uh, you, you, you kind of famously said, I feel like I'm fighting against myself. Right. So Yeah, uh, and, that's, and, that, and, that, and that's what it is. That's, that's exactly what that feeling is. It's like, I really wanted to be in there. I really wanted to be in and I really wanted to fight and I really uh, wanted to to be the person that I was and, and let that side of me out. But 
that thing that made me what I was, it was gone. And there's nothing you can do about it because I didn't know what made me what I was. It was just something. And it just like that, it was gone. I love, I love the the humility you bring to the show, Rashad. I, I, you know, I wonder, remember when you beat, uh, was it, was it Chael? The, the, the fight you had right before the two-year injury. Was that the Chael win? Yeah, Chael, yeah. Where, where everyone was like, oh, and you were in incredible shape that night, and it looked like you were ready for like one last run at the belt. And, oh, then, nice. and then it fell apart, uh, which I'm sure, you know, mentally, it, it, it all plays together. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get hurt there, yeah, you could have, do you, do you ever lament? Mental. Dude, I do. That's I, I was feeling my absolute best. Like I was um getting my best rounds in and I just was really in a good mental position about competing. You know, I had like a little rough stretch at the Nog fight and the John Jones hangover. Uh and then, you know, I put the Dan Henderson fight, but it was a good fight. And then I felt like I picked up my uh, you know, the thing again when I fought when I fought Shale and uh, I was gonna fight DC and I felt like I was still in that dangerous mindset. But when I got hurt and just that, that time off and what happened in that time off, it just completely, it, it completely, uh, it devastated me. It devastated me on so many levels because um, I'm an emotional person. And, you know, the things that happened to me during that two year time was all emotional and I didn't digest it in a proper way. So when I came back, I was not. Oh, okay. So that was November, 2013 when you beat Chael and you just used the words, Daniel Cormier at that point in his career, he was fresh off a heavyweight win over Roy Nelson and was about to move to 205 in which he made his debut early in 2014. Remember against late replacement, Patrick Cummins. You're telling me you were going to fight DC next. At, at yeah. The- I, was, I was for Pat. Cummins. Uh, that that would have been, that would have been awesome because uh, people need to realize that's your last win, but you were like, you were back. Yeah, you were back, back with the bag. I mean, wow. Okay, all right. That's interesting. You know, one day we'll get DC on here. We'll 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 play the what if. What would that fighter look like? I mean, when he came to two hundred five, he wrecked house. But uh, he ain't ta- he ain't taking. I mean, I, I would say this though. Listen, DC came to work out with me one time when when he was first starting. Oh, I would say, oh, okay. I took him down. He wasn't able to take me down. That's all I'm gonna say and leave it at. That. <laughs> oh, little little uh, little uh, Michigan State on uh, Oklahoma State. Is that what yeah, you're... yeah. And, wow. and then I told him that it was recorded and it was gonna be put on our the mattwrestling.com, and he was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> all right, one quick point in closing about anything else on this card that that got to you for me. It was this absolute weirdo, Spike Carlisle. He fought that catchweight fight at 150 against Billy Quarantillo, and the story should be that Billy Q looks like. The real deal, like this is a guy with real jujitsu game toughness, and he had to show the toughness in gas tank because this absolute savage Spike Carlisle, I mean, flying kick across the cage to start it. He's all over him wrestling, submission attempts. The dude ended up gassing out a bit. The dude turned his back some end round one and almost got KO'd with a sucker punch. But uh, I need more of this guy in my life. Or said I hadn't even heard of this guy before this fight. Were you woke to the Alpha Ginger? No, I wasn't. I was walking to Billy Quarantino. I mean, Quarantillo, uh, being from Western New York, a Buffalo guy. So I was all over that hype. And uh, he lived up to it. He, he had a great, and he had to dig in that fight, too. And I was so impressed with Spike, like you said, man. Spike is, is one of those guys who is just a fighter. Like, 
that's a real fighter. You know what I'm saying? Like he don't need much motivation to to go out there and, and do his thing. And you can just see Spike is one of those guys that uh, you teach him a few things, and, and not like he, you know, not like he's some kind of slouch, but th- there's just a, a a few things that he can tune up on, and then he will just be a beast, beast. But just from what I've seen, oh, he's I love that he goes attention. after. And I, Michelle Pineda, Johnny Walker, I think sometimes they're too much show. And I'm like, try to win the fight. This guy, Spike Carlisle, was both crazy. Uh, who stood out to you beyond, beyond Gilbert Burns? Who, whose night was it on Saturday? Who impressed you? We got Mackenzie Dern. There's a couple options here. Who'd you like? Man, um, I, I, thought, I thought Mackenzie Dern looked good. Um, like you said, uh, Billy, Billy Quarantillo looked good. Uh, let's see, who, who else did we have? Casey um, Kenny made some noise at Bantamweight with a. Yeah. With a- that's yeah. the let me bang guy. Let me bang, bro. Uh, shout out to that guy and uh, you know Caitlin Chukagian. I mean, she made Caitlin. That's that's who that's who I was thinking of. Caitlin. Caitlin looked amazing. Listen, her wrestling. She's shown that 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 fight with Shevchenko's sister was what that was, and and what she showed that everything she learned from that fight and she applied it to her sister. All the moves and all the takedown she couldn't get and just the, the the chain wrestling the control the striking it looked like now she's starting to understand the system of mark henry mark henry has one of the most complex systems in the game but when you know it it's the most efficient system in the game just because the communication is, is so easy and, and that's the most you know that's the hardest part to fight so like you beat, I mean, like, I, I love me the Shevchenko sisters. People know that about me, whether that's a flaw or not. But uh, Antonina looked like an amateur in there, unfortunately, against her. I mean, she took a beating. I did not see that. I didn't see it going to be that one-sided. I know Vegas got it wrong picking – somehow they picked Antonina. I mean, look, good kickboxing style. But good Lord, that was like remedial takedown defense. Caitlin put it on her. Big win. What's interesting, though, is that division so shallow, 125, that, you know, Caitlin's being honest and saying, I got baby fever. And I respect that, but like, she might also be the second best fighter still in this division. So it's like, yeah. you know, you may end up with another title shot just by uh, beating who they put in front of you. But uh, either way, Rashad, we got to roll on, take a quick break. Uh, we got to talk some John Jones. This is the biggest story of the week. I think there's a lot of layers to the story. Pause for the cause. Two and two. Chuck Woolery. Yeah, we'll be back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 
All right, and we're back. BC, Sugar Rashad, uh, fight him. He's ready. I didn't come here to do no challenges. I came here to fight. Put me in a ring. Fight me. Fight me. Fight me. Uh, Rashad, John Jones, uh, we talked about this last week. He wants to fight in Ghana. He wants to get paid for it, quote-unquote, Deontay Wilder money. Dana, Dana said this is the wrong time, which I could understand. But this has uh, evolved and escalated into now, John, with a multi-tweet the last few days. He's willing to sit out for 2020, to vacate the 205-pound division. And he's also willing to get released if UFC is willing. And uh, we got a, a typical Dana versus fighter word for word of words here. But I feel like there's deeper, deeper potential layers to this. What do you make of this whole There's situation? definitely deeper layers to this. I mean, you know, just, just reading between the lines of what Dana was saying, you know, it almost seemed as if to me uh, that he didn't want to and didn't even think it was smart to, to, to pay John that kind of money and in the way, you know, he's been acting in the past. You know what I'm saying? That, that's a lot of money to give somebody. And uh, I, 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 totally, I totally get that. But on John Jones' side, he's definitely worth it. He's definitely proved himself to be, you know, uh, a top paid fighter. Now, now, now here's the thing. I, I do think fighters should be paid. And I think somebody like John Jones should definitely be paid at least 15, 15 million. You know, I definitely, I definitely think that. But right now, where we are at as a world where, you know, everyone is, having to adjust on an economic level just because there's almost like an economic reset. You know what I'm saying? So at this point, it's hard to demand that kind of money because that kind of money is not flowing steadily because the the world economy has shut down. The whole world economy is shut down. So I get what Dan is saying. I I can't, even if I, I can't afford to give you that kind of money because I, I'm not, we're not making, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's a lot of money for them to give at this point in time where the world is right now. So I get that, but I feel John. Too. Yeah. It, it feels like right message time because of, you know, the lack of a live gate and just the economy struggling. You're just not going to get that right now. No. Um, it's it's tough because John is such a walking contradiction always, right? Like Bible verse on his chest, you know, inspirational guy in an interview and then can just fumble up his life. So, you know, during a time, it's like, you know, you can view this uh, championship fighter who's already making $5 million crying for more money during, you know, during global pandemic. That, that, that don't look good. But yet at the same time, you know, just two days ago, John's out disarming protesters on the street of Albuquerque, the same city where he had a DUI two months ago and fired a weapon. And it's like that kind of sums up his role in this specific battle with Dana. It is the wrong time for this. But, Rashad, we've talked a lot about the idea that UFC fighters are underpaid, and they are. Uh, I just looked at the most recent research. UFC in 2019, which Dana says is the biggest financial year in company history, they paid out union a players association they got other things going on there but that, that tells you you need to know over whether you know fighters deserve more and should be um i feel like if more fighters come together here if more fighters pull together 
and do what John's doing right now, even though it's kind of the wrong time, change could happen, Rashad, because I'm not saying let's start a, a union tomorrow, although I believe we need a fighters association. We need something. We need some kind of representation here. But you could argue that Henry Cejudo is kind of doing the same thing in a more judicious way. And look, I'm not going to just defend this title against every tough fighter in line for the same amount of money. I will give you your title back. I will now play on my own terms. I just raised my value by retiring. And now when I come back, it's going to be for the super fight I want and maybe for the money I want. What if more fighters backed what John Jones is doing right now? Could we see change? Because he's like this weird martyr where he's doing it for selfish reasons. But at the same time, like, yes, top end guys deserve to get paid what boxers are getting and what pro team sports guys are getting. Mm -hmm. uh, you ain't going to see change unless change is forced. I agree. I agree. And, and uh, more fighters should, you know, um, uh, stand it and understand that only by, you know, working together that they can get the, what they want. Um, it's just the organization of it all. And I think that if something like that is to happen, I think it needs to start at a manager level and all the managers working together because at the end of the all these different managers with a stable of fighters and they have able, they, they have the ability to control, you know, at least, I don't know, 20, 30 guys. So if, if, if one if all these managers got together and they spoke to the, um, to their fighters about, you know, about it, then yeah, it is definitely something that, that can happen, but is now the right time. You know what I'm saying? That that's just, that's just a thing about it. Like I feel like if something happened right now, with the way that things are going, it could mean the end of the sport altogether. Just just because of where we're at with um, the fragility of of sports in general and just of entertainment in general. So I think at this point, it's probably not smart to rock the boat when it comes to being able to compete. If that's what you want to do, um, I think there will be a time for for to stand together and, and get the money they deserve, but at this fragile time, it's better to keep on chucking, you know? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, if I had to predict what happens to John next, I could see him defending the title at 205 against somebody like a Jan Blahowitz if they kind of like overpay him to keep him happy and get him to quiet mm -hmm. down, you know what I mean? Okay, John, we'll give you a little bit more than you're used to. Go fight Blahowitz. Ooh, look, it's not that he's not dangerous, but to me, that's a guy who John style should be able to be cleanly without like a potential tight decision like he had against Dom Reyes or Tiago Santos. I do agree largely though with John's understanding that it's not going to get any easier at 205. There's nothing else to do there historically. It's time to get out and get right. paid and go up to heavyweight is where we've wanted him all along. So if, if that's where he's going to stand hard on, he's not going to fight again in 2020. Rashad, I don't even think McGregor is going to, I don't think anybody will. You can't make Here, more money. But, but, here's, but here's the thing about it. I hear you, BC, and I feel you, BC. But here's where I'm at with it. I feel as if there's no telling when things are going to go back to the place where we're able to go and sit in the arena and feel safe, you know? Um, who knows what the fallout's going to be from this whole situation? We may be heading to a situation where we be, may be put on another lockdown. Who knows what the, the fallout's going to be from all of this? But um, it doesn't bode well for... Uh, for live gates. It doesn't bode well for being back to, to, to where we were. So I think at this point, I think that the UFC just has to make the best of the situation 
and um, you know try to make these blockbuster fights and, and make the most that they can out of them. Uh, if they spread them out enough, they can they can build them up like how they used to. Because one of the biggest things that UFC got away from they start they they had their blockbuster fights too close to had so many fights close together, so there was no no chance to build on any hype. If you go back to the model where you put less fights in between and you make people hungry for it and you build up on a the hype, then you can sell and get more bang out of your buck from these blockbusters. I wonder, playing into what you just said, which I think is right, I wonder if we see – now, look, we're never going to see softer matchmaking for the guys climbing the ladder. But the guys who are half contenders and half entertainers, right, like the Conor McGregor's, the Nate Diaz's, right. the Corey Mosvilles, these, these are brand attractions. I wonder if they just decide to come back. But again, lesser competition. Well, I mean, just to stay busy, to make a to make a leveled off payday, right. stay busy, keep the chains moving. So that what to me that would mean we're not going to see Connor against Nate or Jorge, but maybe we see Connor against the tenth ranked well lightweight. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, or so- they see Connor against Anderson. You know what I'm saying? Or something, or something, or something yeah, like that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Love it. I love it, man. Yeah, me too. Please, but Dana, don't Dana, don't want it. Oh, come on, Anderson. I say, come on, Dana. Come on. Come on, Dana. Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. And Dana say, no, no, no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Dana says a lot of stuff, Anderson. Okay? From cancer. You can't hide from this thing. You can't hide. You can't, Dana. Okay, enough. enough. Stop calling Corona on. Stop standing in front of a mirror. Um, Yeah, all right. You're right. We do have to adjust to the new norm. And, and you know, to be really honest, not to be a fear monger, but uh, – you know, we could be in flu season this year, winter time. We could go right back into full cornos, you know, if, if things get worse. So uh, you're right. We do have to. And, I, and here's where I, I don't damn Dana. Him, him fighting like hell to get this back on the road, it's, it's helped a lot of us. It's, I think it's been the catalyst to bring back all yeah. of sports. I th- somebody had test dummy, the guinea pig. And, you know, for our jobs, it's been fantastic. For the fighters, it's, you know – it's a chance to get back out there, make some money. So um, you're right. Let let's let's find the middle ground. Long term, yeah. Let's build a fighter union. Let's. But in the meantime, all right. In the meantime, fighters might have to take a little bit less to get back out there. All right, Rashad. Uh, we're rolling. We're absolutely rolling here. We still have Ryan Bader to come, but I want to get into this weekend UFC 250 card. Um, you know what? I'll be honest. I, I don't think this is a true pay per view worthy card. There's no disrespect mm. to Amanda Nunes. It's no disrespect to the hardcore of Hong, Corey Sanhagen, Aljo. I mean, that's like a, you know, that's one of the best fights you can make in the sport. I feel like this is where the international flight laws and the need for Fight Island are diminished available talent. I feel like this card is missing. It's, it needs one, one more type, like casual fan draw in it. Hardcore wise, I'm not paying for it any, anyway. I work, so I love it myself. But uh, I think it's going to be a little bit under the radar because of that. It's got Amanda Nunes at the top against Felicia Spencer, a fight that I just don't think odds, Rashad, represent the potential here, the potential for this to be a competitive fight. I've seen, I'm going to call up the odds now, but I've seen Nunes as high as like minus 700 as a favorite. And now, you know, let's look at our friends at William Hill right now, has her at minus 714. Wow. Felicia Spencer, a plus 450 underdog. I get it. Nunes is the GOAT. She's trying to make history here. She would be the first female to defend titles in two divisions. She would join DC and Cejudo as the only UFC fighters to do that. And this would be her first featherweight bout since defeating Cyborg, what, 17 months ago. 
So um, why do you think Felicia Spencer is being given no chance when she's done nothing but impress her whole run? I think it's just because how dominant Amanda is on her feet. You know, um, she does have glaring holes in her ground game. And I think that's where, you know, Felicia can definitely take advantage of. But it, but how, how does she get, you know, uh, Amanda has good takedown defense. Felicia's takedown are okay, but she's not going to shoot from across the cage and, and take you down. You know, she's not going to throw in, in the middle of a com- com- combination and drop underneath your punch and take you down. She's not, she's not going to do that. So I think when, when it comes to that, the, the, the fight, the, the, the bet makers, I guess they're, they, they know that. And, and that's where they're coming. Like this is going to be a landslide victory because there's no way that she's going to get on the ground. But I think I see in Felicia, she's so tough. And she has a durability to her. Even if she takes a few, she's going to grab That's a hold of you. And she's so strong. <laughs> if she gets you to the ground and, and, and she, she, she works her magic on you, when you get back up to your feet, you're going to be a different striker and a different puncher. And we've seen that a little bit with, with um, when she fought uh, Cyborg. You know, Cyborg, Cyborg didn't look that, that great in that fight. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was a bit of a claw scratcher at times for, for Cyborg. And I think that, you know, if she brings that same kind of in your face, not giving Amanda space, making Amanda work in the little spaces against the cage, uh, just, just make her keep on working and never giving her that, that space to, to uh, execute that beautiful strike that she has, then this fight could definitely uh, be enough. Okay. I do think Nunes will win. I do think she should be favored, you know, comfortably. But you just nailed the main reason why Spencer's not out of this fight. She's a legitimate featherweight. She can take damage. She pushed Chris Cyborg to the limit. She yeah. took a hellacious blows and then landed some of her own. This is just such a weird time. And I'll give so much credit to the UFC fighters who have fought during this quarantine because we haven't seen a, a, a diminished product. We've seen people coming in shape and go mm-hmm. after it. We've seen some exciting as heck stuff out there. But not, not everybody the same training camp is going to have the same perfect mentality coming in because we're all through our own version of something right now during this. And this is not the opportune time for Amanda, who's coming off an ankle injury, pushed back this return by a month. Did she get the full normal training camp? I don't know. And Nina, her partner, Nina Ransom, is going to have their first child, which I'm sure that adds some, you know, some distractions in, in, in rightful you know, anxieties, fears, whatever. Um, if she was going in there against, you know, against in anybody, okay. But Felicia Spencer seems to be that next level. Amanda Nunes started her career at featherweight at 145. She fought her first seven fights there. But she hasn't been a full-time featherweight since 2011. We've only seen her one fight at featherweight against Cyborg, and she blew her away, right? It was a brawl. Right. It was great. It was first-round finish. We don't really know yet at 145, with the extra weight, if Nunes can look great over five rounds. Right. So is some there is deep and, water and, 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 here where if Spencer can take damage, push the pace, keep it going, not go anywhere. I don't think Amanda's coming off her best performance. GD made that, made that a fight. Yeah. So this might, if you're going to, if there's any, if there's ever a time to face Amanda Nunes, here's what I'm saying. It might and, be right now. And, and, I, and, there's, and there's so much, to be said for just the mental uh, part of the game and what her her partner um, and, and, and wife brings to the table. You know, they train together. She's always in the corner. And um, that, that is a huge emotional support for her. So 
depending on what's going on with her or, you know, how, how she was able to be part of the camp, you know, that all affects, you know, her, uh, Amanda's mindset going into the camp, going into the fight. So it's going to be interesting to hear, uh, how Amanda's speaking, you know, how her camp went. And I'm always good at just kind of reading in between the lines, you know, kind of picking up the unsaid things, but more told from body language. And I'll be able to tell where, where's Amanda's coming from once I see her talk. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, We've seen Spencer get some good submission wins, especially against Megan. We've seen her; she's coming off a TKO win. I understand that Amanda is just on a whole other level to make this fight to avoid this fight being a trap fight. Do you think Amanda needs to come out and just put it on her? I mean, what, what kind of what kind of attack is the best for Amanda here to exploit what Felicia doesn't do well? I think she uh, moved well on the outside and, and just. Let's put them just just very simple. Uh, you know, start start opening up with some jabs, some low leg kicks, those little frustrating, those peppering shots. And once she starts to land those shots, the jab, the low leg kick, or 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 I wouldn't even, I wouldn't kick her at first because she can grab that leg and take her down. So just even working with the jab and shots uh, will get will get Felicia just kind of frustrated, and then uh, then she should be able to follow up with something that can get her up out of there. She tries to uh, be too stationary and she tries and she strikes. I think that's when, um, you know, she's going to get rushed and, and Felicia's going to be able to get her in her grappling positions and get her to the ground. Stick and move, frustrate Felicia and make her feel slow. As much as you're making a potential case for Felicia here through, through really being tough as nails and, and hanging around, does she have the skill guys to like anybody can catch anybody with, with a big punch, but does she have the skills to win a five round fight here in your eyes against somebody of Amanda's quality? From what I've seen standing up? No, no. I, I feel like, um, you know, her, her grappling, like I said, is head and shoulders above the breast. And, and even when she gets in a grappling position, she's, but that, that closing the range, understanding how to throw to move and get to uh, even have your hands set up your takedown. I didn't see that in her, you know, and I think that if you're going to be able to push a pace for five rounds and control it at some point, you'd be able to, you know, impose your game. And I just don't feel her being able to impose that game from a stand up. Crazy that Spencer has just three UFC fights, Uh, but that's the reality of this division. You know, it's, it's, in some ways it's newness and everybody else, but look, I'll I'll give Felicia Spencer credit. She's a tough out. Megan Anderson, I think is a legitimate title contender, but uh, it's shallow. It is shallow after that. I, I still wonder what's the future of this division, you know? I mean, it's interesting that, you know, Dana's kind of forced all champ champs of late to to to, to get stripped and pick their path, right? You know, even Cerullo yeah. got stripped. DC got stripped pretty much right away. Uh, mm-hmm. A man has been able to hang on to this for 17 months. Why? Because there's really no demand for anyone else to fight for belts. So it's, uh, it, it is very interesting. Uh, we both like Nunes, of course, to win this fight. But um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we, get, we get something worth watching here for sure. Uh, Look, there's plenty of hardcore interest here. I think it's a smart move, though, that they put in the co-main event. This is a, a story we need to watch. Coming back from three straight knockout defeats, obviously, though, against elite competition, twice to TJ Dillashaw, once to Pedro Munoz. But at 28, Rashad, he's got a lot of explaining to do. This is that crossroads fight against the ass veteran, Rafael Asuncao. Um, That's what I like about, about Cody Garbrandt on the build of this fight. Hasn't said much, right? Not not flashy interviews predicting knockouts. 
And I saw on the countdown show that he left team alpha male, not, not permanently, but, but, you know, taking a, taking a holiday over there in Jersey with Ricardo Almeida and really focusing on his jujitsu game. We all know he can crack and bang. It's all about sort of rewind mind to, not get into wars, to, to, to go back mm-hmm. to the guy who beat Dom Cruz, who was focused, who was confident. Uh, he seems to be setting the right foundation for this to happen. The question is, are you who you are at the end of the day? And if Rafael Asuncao can make this a bit of a cracker, are we going to see the, the, the Cody Garbrandt from the last two and a half years come back again? I mean, is it we put too much stock in the idea of, well, this guy just loves to bang, or have you seen some, some chin issues? What, what, what do you see as, as the main key entering this fight? I like the fact that Kobe, uh, Cody switched up camps, and I like the fact that he's now working with Mark Henry, my old trainer. And like I said before, you know, when it comes to the X's and O's and the communication and learning the game of striking and position, there is, I mean, Mark, Mark Henry is top, top, top notch. You know, what he gets his guys to understand from a striking standpoint, from a communication, I think that's where uh, Cody, Cody, Cody should be able to get a huge advantage from, especially working with Ricardo Almeida. You know, uh, Ricardo's jiu-jitsu is so effective, and it's such a, um, such a, a, a game, uh, for somebody like like uh, a build like Cody, you know, because he perfected his game with a Frankie, a Frank, Frankie Edgar, you know, that that kind of style, the moving, floating on top, you know, not not staying too heavy in position, but floating on top and just pounding and striking. I, I look for uh, Cody to go out there and, and show some of that Jersey style, but he got the sun style in front of him, and um, this is this, this is going to be a great fight. But as a former champion and, and uh, as somebody who who's a fan of Cody Garbrandt, he's got a lot of power in his hands, and I just he he's he's he fights with that emotion, and because he fights with that emotion, he goes out there and he goes out on the shield, which is great, but at the same time, not too great when you get when you're three times that uh, receiving. You no, know, and Sun Tzu is almost too technical of a fighter to be like. We'll just right. go in there and brawl him. But I think that's kind of what you want to do. You want to get Cody off of whatever the new mindset and game plan is, right? Like serenity yeah. now. I must not brawl. I must not brawl. Well, if I'm a sunset, I'm coming and bang. I mean, that's what I want to do. Now, look, he's 37. He hasn't shown us anything to believe, though, that he's, on, that he's going in the wrong direction. Yes, he's lost twice in a row. But over the last 10 years, here's the working theory. A sunset only loses to the best in the sport, mm-hmm. right? Dillashaw couple years back and then Marlon Moraes and Corey Sanhagen and back-to-back bouts is Cody Garbrandt capable of becoming a lead again because that's that that's the question here um he has elite power he you know if if a somehow makes this a brawl you know Cody may end up winning it just because he can catch him here but uh this is going to tell a lot I love that UFC sticks to their guns they ain't matching you they ain't matching your week. Nah. Cody back here against uh, uh, no disrespect to Patrick Cummins, but he was a barista before the UFC. See, we against a barista just to get on that knockout. They don't do it like that in the yeah. UFC. So uh, this is a tough ass fight. But by matching him, this difficult. If Cody wins without showing uh, deficiencies, without getting into trouble, I mean this. He back. 
he might he might be right back in the damn title mix at age 28 and that's why this division right now it's crazy you have so many of those deserving guys the peter jan sanhagen's aljamain sterling that are ready to become stars and you also have so many of these old stars right Fabro, aldo cruz uh frankie edgar's coming down against pedro munoz next month uh you're really you know if you got a name you're especially in this quarantine time you're like one good win away from from cutting the line as jose aldo's about to do with peter jan so so much at stake here rashad i feel like you're going with cody garbrandt i feel like you're going with the the youth the Mark Henry influence. I'm, I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling upset. Okay, 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 okay. Now, now my pick may change. It may change. I'm just saying right now, the way I feel, it's all Cody Garbrandt, CG, baby. To be honest, though, like I don't want a Sunsado. I want Cody Garbrandt to get back to where he was. I like him. He's got too much talent to lose four in a row and be at a point where he's like, should I still be doing this? And that's where you know you you can get to if you get knocked out four times in a row. It's oh, just yeah. the way of the world. Uh, great fight. Can't wait to check it out. And then we got the fight of the night. We have one of the best fights you can make in the whole sport. Oh, my goodness. Aljamain Sterling, off of wrist surgery, four-fight winning streak, overdue for this type of close-up against the dark horse of the division, Corey Sanhagen. Interesting fight that we know that Sanhagen's like one of the larger potential bantamweights at 5'11", yet the 5'7", Aljo has a longer reach. This has, I mean, this has so much... Uh, it's technical, high-speed chess type of potential here. Uh, the best part about this fight, Rashad, is I know we are paid professionally to have strong opinions on this. I have no idea what this is going to look like. <laughs> Just give it to me. Put it on my lips. Let me rub it on my gums, Rashad. This is going to be great. <laughs> hey, I feel you on the rubbing on the gums, baby. I feel you on that. Listen, Aljo has been amazing, man. I, I can't get over just how his growth the development has been over the last few years. You know, each and every single fight, he just gets stronger and stronger. And even with the hand injury, breaking that hand, you watch him working on different aspects of his game. I follow him on IG. And, uh, you know, I see him working on these kicks, and I'm working on all different kind of kicks, different kind of techniques. But that's how you grow. You know what I'm saying? Each and every single time, he, no matter what happens, he's taking that as an opportunity to grow as an athlete. And that's why he's in a position right now. Corey Sanhagen. I mean, this guy is 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 one of those guys that is so dangerous because he's got that that build. You know, he's got such a a, a a long build and he's such a smart fighter and not for nothing does not look as good as he is he is. Like you look at Corey Sanhagen, you might pick on him if, if you didn't know, you know what I'm saying, know who he is, but that might be the wrong move for sure because he's tough as nails, man. And uh you know, you you just don't see it when you look at him. But when you white, it's perfection. He's fluid like like water. You know what I'm saying? So this is going to be All a right, great. Let me, let me let me pepper you with with a with a roulette here of hot questions. Who has the striking advantage here? Oh, I'm gonna say Sanhagen. Yeah, he's got he's got such a weird high volume style southpaw. It's just almost some like Tony Ferguson elements in there, right? Yeah, where it, yeah, it's kind of you know. Now who's got the wrestling advantage? This is Aljo. Aljo, Aljo, Aljo for sure. What about Aljo. submissions? Uh, I like what Sanhagen's been able to do with that with those long with that long frame. I like I like Aljo. I think he's very creative in there with it with his submissions. I mean, sometimes when he pulls off his submissions or even his attempts. I, you know, it's like, okay, Aljo, you, you got those. I'd like you know? to believe that the winner of this 
firmly is the number one contender. Fight will face the winner of Peter Jan against Jose yeah. Aldo, you know, sometime at the end of this year. Um, there, you always have to understand that, like we mentioned, one one veteran with a big name is one big win away from getting back in it. Um, with that said, who you got here, Rashad? Mm. Who you got? This is seven wins in a row for San Hagen. He's unbeaten in the UFC. He's on a great hot streak. Aljo, I think, has really benefited from a couple of those split decision losses he had in his early rise. He's sort of figured out how to round out his game. Two trains are going to collide. Who's going to be left standing? It's a close one, but uh, I'm going to stick with my boy Aljo. I think that Aljo, is, uh, he's coming into his own. He, you know, he's into his own, and, and he has a great team around him. I think I'm, I'm going to go down. Aljo has been looking great before the injury. Uh, decision wins over Pedro Munoz and Rivera. And then, of course, you've got Sanhagen, who is fresh off his own nice uh, decision wins over Asuncao and John Lineker. So this will be great. I like Sanhagen. I you think like it's going to be the cards. Um, I think it's going to be a great fight. They're both going to have moments. Uh, give me Sanhagen as the true dark horse Ooh. here. who's going to end up with the title at the Ooh. end of the day. That's Jose Aldo's hand. All bets are off. I may end up just, just being the man here for a while, but uh, no disrespect to Peter Jan. Uh, that's the thing. The division's so great. I really have no idea. It could be like your old light heavyweight division killers where it's like you take the belt for a year. No, I got it back. Okay, let's give it to Forrest, right? Let's give it to uh, – luckily you took it. No disrespect. <laughs> Come on. Our Neil Magny against Anthony, Rocco, Tony, Antonio, mm-hmm. Martin – He's got many. Um, I like this fight. Yeah. Uh, Magny is the better fighter. Magny will outwork you. But Magny likes to trade wins and losses here. Is it time yet for the uh, Tony Rocco Martin experience to, to make the leap? It's time. It's definitely time. But I like um, Neil. Uh, you know, he, I feel like he always trains. He always fights better when, when, when there's, there's – uh, you know, somebody from this stable fighting as well, too. And Corey being there and fighting, I think that, you know, there was a lot of energy inside of his camp. So I think that he, he's going to have a, a good performance, you know. It's been a while since we uh, – when was the last time Neil fought? I haven't seen him fight in a while, was it? Yeah, let me, let me, let me call up the uh, Google machine here. He fought in March of this oh, year wow. okay. at UFC 248, being, beating uh, Lee Jean That's Leon. right, that's right, that's right. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Neil, Neil all day. Okay, okay, that's a good fight. And, of course, I love this Bantamweight opener. The veteran Eddie Wineland coming in there uh, against Sean O'Malley. Sugar Sean oh. did back. He looked great after that two-year USADA exit. And uh, he's coming in with, with some hot pepper yeah. here. He's saying in one breath that he's one to two wins away from winning the title. But if you want me to fight those guys, UFC, you got to pay me. I love his swagger. I love that he understands his marketability. I also love that he's just this free-flowing freak in there who can finish you at any time. This has potential, Rashad, for him to – I mean, Wineland's a tough guy, but he's on, you know, he's on the other side of it. This has potential for uh, Sugar Sean – not Sugar Rashad, Sugar Sean to come in and, and really be like, uh, don't forget me in this title picture because it's already crowded enough. Imagine if Sean O'Malley starts I know, busting you know, my, my son, Sugar Sean, my little white son, Sugar Sean O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I like this kid, man. I, I, I'm definitely uh, well, you know, he, he does all the right things. You know, he's got a nice little funky style. He's got some swagger. He's got attitude. And, and that's 
really what you need. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like um, I, I like him in this picture, and I like how confident he is uh, in this division. You know, he knows that he brings some tools to this table that gives a lot of people some problems. So uh, the confidence is is definitely appreciated. And I look for him to get he destroyed win. Jose Quinones in one round in his return in March at 248. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Also, you got to love this featherweight bout rising stud Chase Hooper, who's well, I don't know if he's licensed to drive. It's going to take on uh, Alex Caceres here. And, and uh, we all love us some Bruce Leroy, but you know, the dude, dude likes to muscles. This is a perfect test to find out how good Chase Hooper is. UFC believes he's pretty damn good. I don't know if you know, they sent out, out to all the media members after his last fight, uh, these, this M M&M and M container with uh, Chase's face on each one. Uh, wow. It's little uh, curly hair dirtbag uh, who has some game, has some big time game. Does he have a game here, Rashad? What do you what do you see happening? Yeah, I think he has some some game, but you know, Leroy is always one of those guys who um, he brings he, he he lets you know how fundamentally sound someone is, you know, because. If you're not too fundamentally sound, he can pull you out and get you in his game and doing all the crazy things that he does. You know what I'm saying? So um, we're going to see. We're going to see how fundamentally sound Cooper is. And, and based off that, you know, uh, you know, he should be able to put together um, a decent performance. You know, we'd be able to better see where his projection can take him. But I think Alex Caceres is, is a perfect test. And not for nothing. Uh, Casera, he, he performs in, 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 state, in, in situations like this where he feels as if, like, uh, I'm not going to be the stepping stone, you know what I'm saying, the gatekeeper. So this may be one where he, he rises to the occasion, but nevertheless, this is going to be a good fight. Chase made his UFC debut in December. I was there at 245. He destroyed Daniel Tamer in the first round. TKO. Oh, my beat him gosh. Great every, fight, Hooper. Beat him every, every aspect, ground game, everything, all around the He's only 20 years old. He's six foot one as a featherweight, Rashad. So he's a little bit of a freak in there. Uh, Bruce Lee coming in with a 15 inch, very good competition. I love me. I love him. Let me show you some of the odds for this fight. Uh, just to keep you abreast, Rashad, of what's going on here, William Hill has Cody Garbrandt as the favorite at minus 149, Aljo at minus 125 mm. as the favorite, with Corey Sanhagen coming in at plus 100, and uh, Neelite favorite. Sean O'Malley minus 500 and Chase Hooper, very slight favorite here at minus 161. Uh, to close out, Rashad, you know, I'm going to love it anytime Ian Hines comes in there with that Jurassic <laughs> back in that great. Uh, he is coming off of two defeats, though, in a row against decent competition. So he's going to have to prove himself against any other fights you're looking at that you like. Uh, no, I think he pretty much named it. Um... Ryan, uh, the Boom Kelleher, uh, he's not fooling around, Rashad. He fought in January. He fought in May, meaning he fought at UFC Jacksonville, and he's back again looking for three in a row, At uh, this time at featherweight once again against Cody Stammen. That's an interesting bout right there. Great fight, man. Dude, I cannot wait for this weekend. I can't yeah, wait th- for it. This- this is real fight fans know this is a real card. Uh, people are mad at me when I said, look, Nunes Spencer, not a real main event. I, I think you need one more fight on there, but I'm not going to complain. We're going to be watching that. Check us on CBS Sports HQ, of course, all this week setting up the fights immediately after the fights as well. Rashad, we got a quick interview to throw to. It's Ryan Bader. We're going to find out what this guy's doing in his quarantine, whether he's going to come back at heavy, light heavy, 
and what type of fights he really wants to close out his career. A heck of a turnaround. I know I know who you are and who you aren't. Well, guess what? I'm not Ryan Bader. My word. I'm not Ryan Bader. All right? Just, just know that, okay? But he had some nice words to say about you as well. Here's Ryan Bader. Check it out. All right, Darth What's Bader. What's going on, guys? In the house. Great to hear from you, man. How's everything? Everything's going well. All good. All right, all right. Are you enjoying the uh, quarantine sun in Arizona these days? Yeah, Arizona's kind of the Wild West. You know, we're pretty much open everywhere. Uh, getting hot, though. But, yeah, you know, we... You know, I've been able to train and all that. We kind of have a little private little gym and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, been pretty fortunate, you know, so it hasn't been too bad for us. How bad is that itch going right now to kind of get back to normal? I mean, being able to train for you is probably a a great part of that. But just, you know, life in general, how have you, you dealt mentally with all this? Yeah, you know, we had a had a fight coming up on May 9th, you know, and we we're in the midst of training camp, you know, kind of thinking, will this happen? Because it was coming out, you know. Um, so, kind of kept my head down. I'm like, probably won't happen, but I got to train, you know. So then it got canceled, and then you know the lockdown, all that kind of stuff. So um, at that point, get a little restless, and I have to go, go, go. But um, make the best of it, knowing that other people have it a lot worse. People are going through a lot of stuff, you know, and I'm here with my family. Everybody's healthy. So just kind of flipped the switch, knowing I was going to fight again pretty soon. It's not too bad. Any new um, hobbies, addictions you've created? I mean, I I bought an axe in a mall. I'm chopping down trees like I'm, you know, Paul Bunyan. Uh, What have you been doing? Binging Tiger King? What's going on for you in the personal life? Yeah, I'm not a huge TV guy. You know, before bed, my wife and I will watch some whatever. But, uh. Yeah, you got into that a little bit. Um, my son, he's eight years old. I got him kind of a compound bow. I have a bow, too, so we've oh, been nice. shooting out in the backyard. Getting good at that. Um, getting out in the woods a little bit. We can drive about an hour and a half away from here, be 5,000-foot elevation. I like it. I like it. Trying to do some different stuff. Absolutely. Well, part of the uh, TV quarantine fill of late, of course, has been this great collaboration with uh, CBS Sports and Bellator on the CBS Sports Network every Wednesday night with Bellator MMA Recharged. And I feel, Ryan, like this series was completely built around you and this run to the World Grand Prix heavyweight title over the past couple of years. Uh, I know you've had time to sort of sit and reflect on this. We've had fun going back and reliving the tournament and watching it over again. Uh, how do you sort of frame what this all did for you in your career in terms of uh, achieving goals and, and, and reminding people uh, of your ability as a, as a pro fighter? Yeah, it was huge. You know, that night with Fedor was one of the most special nights of my whole career. You know, uh, going through that tournament, it was something different. You know, we haven't really done too much of it, you know, throughout my career prior to that. You know, I was on the Ultimate Fighter and all that kind of stuff. But this was a true tournament like my wrestling days, you know, and I got to see kind of who, what my path would be. You know, I kept my head down for a year, trained my butt off. And then ultimately ended up, you know, with one of uh, my heroes and icons of the sport in Fedor. And then to go out there and, and knock him out in 35 seconds, become a double champ, but do it beating him, you know, it was a very, very special night, you know. And when I came over to Bellator, you know, this is exactly what 
you know, I was hoping to do, hoping to do something different like these Grand Prix and end up becoming, you know, light heavyweight champ and then also the heavyweight champ. So it was a super cool tournament, obviously, and then a, one of the best nights of my life when, you know, beating Fedor. Absolutely. And, you know, Fedor had been on such a nice little resurgent run. The fans were fired up. You had to know he could, he could have, even at his advanced age, knocked you out at any time because he, you know, oh, the, yeah. po- the power's the last thing to go. Um, uh, was it bittersweet at all to, to, to finish him knowing the, the, the aura that you can feel when you walk in the same room of a guy like that? Um, you know, if we both go in there knowing what we're getting into, right? He, he, he's kind of trying to do the same thing to me. Um, he's such a nice guy. You know, it was kind of bittersweet afterwards, you know, when we were kind of talking and, you know, uh, we're, you know, I was showing him the respect he deserves and, you know, and whatnot. Um, you know, at, at that point, definitely. You know, when you're in it, you know, and, and you're worried that he's going to take your head off and you actually take his off, you know, it's like, okay, you know, a little celebration, but that's kind of the same thing. I said it in the cage, you know, he's had a, a storied career and, and, you know, I look up to him, everybody looked up, up to him and it was an honor to be in there and compete against him, you know? And so, uh, you know, great night, but there's always that respect there. Absolutely. Uh, you are now 12 in one with one, no contest over your last 14 fights going back seven years. Uh, does Rod Bader get the respect he deserves right now? I mean, was the was the tournament what finally maybe you know allowed people to see that? Yeah, I think during the tournament, you know, you started kind of seeing people like, hey, you know, man, he is legit, you know, and one of the best fighters in the world, um, you know. So I think that Grand Prix kind of was kind of a showcase for me, you know, coming out and knocking out King Mo in like 15 seconds, knocking out. You know, fade on 35 seconds and then, you know, fighting Matt Mitrione and you know, having 10 8 rounds and dominating that fight. Um, I guess a bigger heavyweight. Yeah, it was kind of, even though I've been fighting for so long, kind of my coming out party. You know, you had, you look so great out there, uh, 36 years old, but you're now, you know, of course, competing halftime at, at heavyweight, where, where a division that age doesn't seem to matter. But even without that, you've been able to just stay on such an upward trajectory. During a time frame where, you know, guys with as many fights as you, you never know. Some guys just begin to fade away. What has been sort of the secret for you to to almost be doing the best stuff of your career in maybe the last two, three years? You know, I've always had kind of the physical gifts, like even, you know, in athletics as a kid. Um, you know, one thing is I, I'm always working. You know, I, I don't go and have a fight and then take two months off and then come back and start it over. I'm always back in the gym. I'm trying to get better. But I think the biggest part, you know, when the the technique and all that catches up, I think it's the mental part. And I think I finally hit my stride in in that department where I, I told myself, you know, you are the best in the world. Believe it, you know, and go out there and act like that, you know, and, and, uh, um, it's kind of like my last loss that I had. I went out there and didn't follow any of the game plan we had and, and got beat. And ever since then, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to enjoy this whole process. I'm going to not overthink it. I know I put the work in, and you are the best in the world. Let's go get it. And kind of brought that mindset to, to every fight after that. I've been undefeated. Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible. And in it's interesting because I wonder this. I'll ask you if you had re-signed with with UFC in 2017 instead of coming to Bellator, could you have seen yourself 
staying at light heavyweight that whole time? Like, did this tournament sort of open up a new chapter for your career that may not have been there, or was this always part of the plan to eventually move up? No, I really didn't have any plans really to move up. I know when we met with Bellator, they kind of asked if I was willing to fight a heavyweight here and there. I said, yeah, you know, for the right opponent or, or you know, whatever it would be, sure. You know, I'm, I'm open and ready for new things. Uh, but, you know, if I would stayed with the UFC, no, I would probably still be a light heavyweight. You know, it, it was that opportunity I got asked to come up and fight in the heavyweight Grand Prix tournament that I was like, hell yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to do these different things. You know, I haven't fought in a Grand Prix. You know, this was like the old school side days, you know, and I jumped all over it. But yeah, so probably not. I probably would have been a light heavyweight. What do you think is the difference of you as a fighter at either weight class? Because I, I'd have to assume... You know, we saw how great your boxing was during this tournament. That the speed difference has to mean something when you're moving up against the bigger guys. Can you? Did you get that feeling? Yeah. Yeah, I always, I've always had power and strength. Where, where I didn't think it would matter, regardless if I'm going up to heavyweight, I'm just as strong as those guys. Um, you know, and and my cardio is always good. My cardio is good at 205, let alone heavyweight. You know, and and. Um, so I wasn't worried about that, but I, I, I do think it's kind of that speed in my ability to, you know, get in and out before they can get anything off, you know? So I figured I was evenly matched with them on everything else. Um, I didn't know how the speed was, you know? And so kind of saw that where I can get in get it out, not get hit, um, you know, and deliver my own. So I'd probably say that for sure. You know, it's, it can be a thing where if you're a wrestler as your base, you, you use striking to set up the wrestling, but then eventually, you know, you evolve, and a lot of guys leave the wrestling behind for good. I mean, you know, we saw you in this tournament. You showed us everything. You ragdolled Matt Mitrione wrestling-wise all over the cage, but do you, are you altering your game plans at all with how much your striking has, resolved, has evolved Excuse me, to where you almost think boxing first? Yeah, you know, because you don't – my last loss, I rushed a takedown, and I, never, I didn't want that that to happen again so you know i set up both i set up my wrestling with my boxing my boxing with my wrestling you know and so that's one thing i feel like i'm getting very good at you don't know what i'm bringing in there you don't know you know is that faint a takedown or is it you know left hook is a right hand you know getting jabbed you know what's going on you know so i like to mix that up and then you know with my cardio especially at heavyweight i like to put a pressure on where they're like man I don't think I can handle this for five rounds. You know, can he? Because he's a light heavyweight, he's smaller. What's going on? You start getting in their, their psyche and their head. They start questioning themselves. So I think it's just a combination of everything that I've, I've been doing it for, you know, so long that I finally found my little niche. Yeah, absolutely. What is your philosophy moving forward on how often you want to defend either belt? And, you know, do you feel responsibility uh to to put the certain amount of title defenses in each division, you know, so you're not let's say bottlenecking it at all. Yeah, you know, I had uh, I wanted to fight light heavyweight this next fight, uh, but I don't know if that's going to happen now because uh, you know my uh, my opponent that I was going to fight can't get in. Um, a lot of international fighters can't get in right now, so I've always deferred to Bellator. They've kind of told me what they want to do, and I kind of stay out of it at that aspect as far as what what um wait but regardless i want to get one in you know soon here and then turn around and get another one in right away in two different weight classes i'm curious when you get to this point in your career you, you won championship in two different weight classes that that's not leaving your historical slate you know but yet 
it's not like you're in the twilight of your career. You kind of found, you know, not even new life at heavyweight because, you know, you, you're still you're still going as the light heavyweight champ. But like, what are you fighting for now? Is it is it is it the, the paydays, the potential crossover matchups? Like, what is your your direct goal as as you go into the gym and train each day in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to beat that night, like I was saying, with Fedor, becoming a key division champion, doing it against him, the Grand Prix tournament. Um, but I'm a competitor, and it didn't matter if I was on a two-fight losing streak or if I was fighting for a belt. Every fight mattered a ton to me. And so I just still bring that, you know, to these, to these upcoming fights in, in the future, you know. Every fight I go in there, I'm a competitor. I want to go in there and win. I want to, you know, train my butt off. You know, I match up with that other person. You know, so it's that. It's definitely, obviously, it's a career. It's uh, the money. All, you know, also. Um, but then it's also to just extend that legacy. Say, hey, I've defended the heavyweight and light heavyweight. You know, X amount of times. Yeah, but I still love doing what I do. I love to compete, and so, you know, why not be the best at it and compete at the highest level? Are there, uh, you know, with with respect to the the what you're going to have in front of you in terms of the next ranked competitor and you know whether you end up defending against Nemkov or whether you go back to the heavyweight belt are there one or two names you're looking at in the Bellator pool that like if we can make that work that's a fight that sells that's a fight that challenges me who are those guys right now yeah some like you know uh off the top of my head a guy like Machida you know I have a loss to him back you know 2011 or 12 you know, so to be able to go in there and compete against him again would be great. Um, be a you know big fight. Those big name fights are fun. You know, it's just kind of like why well, I went up to heavyweight to do this Grand Prix, something different. You know, so those big names are are great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there ever was there ever a talk with you and your coaches like, hey, what if we had been a heavyweight this whole time? Would it have looked any different? I mean, you know, it's looked pretty good at light heavyweight, but uh, has that ever been a thought in your in your mind now? Yeah, you know, yeah. Back in the day, you know, Aaron Simpson, he, he was my wrestling coach. He fought in UFC and all that. He was always bugging me. He's like, man, you should go up to heavyweight. You know, you're strong enough and you're you're faster. Your cardio is good. We just always kind of laugh. But yeah, that's went through my mind, you know. Um, but then you run into a heavyweight that's 300 pounds cutting down, <laughs> you know. So who knows? I mean, they're uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but I'm doing it now, jumping around. So it is what it is. Well, every fighter is different. Uh, you've been able to have success now in both divisions. Daniel Cormier, we've seen bounce back and forth and do great. With the recent uh, headlines that John Jones, your ex-foe, has been getting with the whole tease of maybe moving up and fighting Francis Ngannou, do you think Jones has the right uh, skill set base at this point in his career where he could find you know an even brighter future at heavyweight than he already has at 205? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't doubt John. He's one of the best to ever do it. You know, it's, he's so talented. And uh, he has a – I think he has a body type. You know, he's super long. He can keep those big boys, you know, from coming in and throwing haymakers. You know, he has those weird kicks, all that kind of stuff. So he'd do fine up there. You know, I would like to see him go up there and fight guys like Francis and all that kind of stuff. I would as well. Uh, I love to, to ask fighters about the competitive spirit in their soul that drives them each day. If there's one loss on the Ryan Bader record that you could run back right now, which fight is it that just eats at you? Yeah, a lot of my losses are to the top of the top guys, you know, um, but there's one loss. It was a 
the only time I've had two losses in a row. Supposed to go out there. Supposed to. to I, was, I was a big favorite. I get punched and I get choked. You know, it's probably Tito Ortiz for sure. I catch more slack, slack <laughs> about that than anything. Uh, he didn't. He didn't take it easy on the celebration. Uh, is there is there a receipt coming for that? Uh, we tried to get. We talked, you know, here and there at Bellator and stuff, and I was like, "Hey, let's let's run it back." And he's like, oh, "I'm done. I'm done." And then, you know, he, he's come back and fought a few times after that. But you know, that would be nice. That was one I definitely would like to get back. I can I can appreciate that. I want to take you in the way back machine one more time. I co-host the podcast with uh, another one of your former opponents, Rashad Evans, and filling this quarantine, yep. we've had a lot of fun doing story time with Rashad. He takes us back in the big fights, all the tiny details. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but he peed his pants during the uh, Ultimate Fighter finale fight against Brad Imes. Nobody realized that. But uh, take us inside yeah. the build to your fight with Rashad. UFC 192, October 2015. You win by decision. What do you remember about the build up to that fight? Yeah, you know, Rashad, he has been and was a big name at that point, you know, and we were two wrestlers and he was a, a well-rounded fighter. You know, he had his wrestling and he had his boxing, you know, he, he, he moved real well, um, you know, and so it was one of those big fights. Um, what, what I took from that fight that I remember, it was kind of a fight where I went out there and I started to see things that I hadn't seen in other fights. You know, it was, instead of having tunnel vision, I was able to relax and kind of see, see things coming. Everything kind of slowed down a little bit, you know, and I was able to um, do things I really haven't done in different fights. I was staying calm, I was showing a jab, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and there's, you know, I thought I was winning this fight. And then uh, at the very end, I had a, had a double leg, got, got a double leg down. He popped up really quick. You know, he was, he was good at his movement, you know, and kind of um, staying out of distance. Um, hit him with some elbows and whatnot. So if you look at that fight, it doesn't look any crazy. Um, end up getting the win, but that fight, my body was the most sore out of any other fight that I've ever been. I've been laying in bed. I was like, man, like I can't get rid of this. So, you know, I, I pretty much remember most of my fights with pretty much like vivid details. So it's kind of crazy, but that was a, a fun fight. You know, he's a legend in his own right. To come out there and get the win was a good night for me. Yeah, that was your fifth straight win, uh, the longest stretch I believe you had in the UFC. It started, unfortunately, for Rashad, the first of five straight losses, which ended his career. Although, Ryan Bader, he says you never know, right? The phone may ring. He may answer it. You never yeah. know. All right? Could be you. You get, a, you get an itch, you know? <laughs> You're ready to go. You're ready to do it one more time. Feel those feelings. It's hard to get away from. All right, what is your timeline looking like? The last I've talked to Scott Coker, maybe a late June, July return. I know all the great folks at Bellator are behind the scenes trying to figure out what works best for them. When do you want to be back, and, and what would dictate whether it's Nemkov or not? Yeah, it's looking like uh, later July right now. Um, probably won't be Nemkov. Uh, just had a big travel ban. You know, on, on uh, Brazilians coming in this week and some other countries. So, um, looking like end of, end of July. Oh, oh, all right. Uh, any idea what division? Any idea? Are we still in the in the talking phases now? Yeah, we're we're still trying to figure that out. But um, I would I would say probably ninety percent end of July. 
going through all that, uh, you know, where exactly when, who. So I think they're kind of figuring that out as it goes to this. It's pretty fluid. There's so many moving parts right now. Um, so but we just need to get it nailed down. Uh, you said your training has been active and going well, so that's certainly a plus. But uh, how do you feel about the whole empty arena potential and all the sort of uncertainty with travel for, for getting back out there? You know, I'm in Arizona, so if we, we head to California, it won't be too bad. And the empty arena thing, for me, it's, uh, you know, I've done this a ton of times, 33, 34 times, you know, so it's something new, you know, which I kind of get excited about you know, kind of all the hoopla will be gone, which is good and it sucks at the same time, but you go in there and you just do your job. Um, I've done it on the Ultimate Fighter. You know, we had production and the teams there and that was it. Um, it kind of feel like Friday Friday morning sparring for us. So um, something different and I can get up for that for sure. All right. Well, uh, I've been looking at the headlines lately and uh... – I think Phil Davis wants to fight you again. You you, you have any interest in that? Uh, isn't two enough? You know, Phil Davis is always he's always a contender in two or five, right? I mean, every every time we fought twice already, and both of our fights fights were te- like terrible, terrible. <laughs> you know, so it's not we we just match up weird, you know. And so there's other guys in the division that deserve it, like an MCOF, you know. Who knows, later on down the road and whatnot, possibly, but not when there's other people to fight. And I get it, you know, this division's been on hold, um, but that's no fault of myself. You know, we were scheduled to fight May 9th, uh, light heavyweight division, you know, so just one of those things. So who knows? Okay, he he beat you in amateur wrestling. You beat him twice in MMA. I don't know, maybe you guys need to box. Maybe that's what we're missing here. There we go, I'll do that. (laughs) All right, Darth Bader, great chatting with you, man. Looking forward to that announcement when you put it out there. When you're coming back, maybe it will be July. Uh, Best of luck to you getting through this quarantine, man. But great chatting with you and going up and down the road. You too, buddy. Appreciate that. Take care, man. You too. All right, special thanks to Darth Bader. Rashad, uh, he's chilling. He's looking to come back, doesn't know who and when. Are there any Bellator matchups that you really, really want to see in terms of him defending that title? You know, he did mention Machida's out there, yeah. potential for that. Uh, what, are, what Are there any challenges in the Bellator stable for him? Because he's riding hot. you got to give Darth Bader credit. He's figured out his striking. I would like to see him fight Phil Davis again. I thought that was a great fight, and it was his first fight back into the octagon. But I feel uh, each time they fought, they fought twice, and, and it's kind of left this undigested. Just the, I need <laughs> Bader to just said uh, that it was boring as hell each time we fought. So I don't know. You know, Phil Phil wants that trilogy bad though. I, I think I, yeah, it's, it's got to happen. It's been boring. It's been boring. But I feel like at some point something has to happen. You know, they, they're very equally matched. But uh, I wouldn't even mind seeing Matt uh, Matt Mitrione get back in there. Listen, I believe in Meathead. I think I think he can do it. I mean, uh, <laughs> Bader schooled him on the ground wrestling, but I feel. I feel if he gets that one too, he might be able to do something, man. I certainly care about him. A cheetah fight. Hey, look, if Musasi went back up to to uh, two hundred five and fought him, that that's a good Bellator fight to make. Yeah. Well, that, um, there's yeah. also this guy who once fought Bader named uh, Sugar Rashad Evans. You may feel that heat coming. That's me bringing that heat. That's uh, me bringing if, that heat. What if Sugar Rashad, with a new, with a renewed spirit, a renewed mind, a renewed purpose? 
and some really nice abs for a 40-year-old said, you know what? I am coming back. And I'm going to the title level. I'm going right for the light heavyweight title of Bellator. Give me that rematch. I owe you a receipt. I want you to put it on me. I'm going to make you skip to my loo. BC, I wasn't even thinking like that. When you when you brought when you said I wouldn't even think like that, but since you said it, since you said it, BC, I think that has to be it. Oh Listen, God. Scott Coker, line call one. Call Scott one. Coker. Yes. Let him know if Ryan Bader needs a fight, you need to call put, me. Put that title on the mantle behind your head. All right. We got the UFC championship. We're gonna get the Bellator Championship. Right there. We might go after the one championship, the CRT championship. All right. All right. You know how excited I am for this fight? You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. I got a phoner in which Jake Hager said is a fight phoner, Rashad. Hey, I was going to fight Jake Hager the other day. Uh, oh, what? Hey, why am I burying the lead? AEW star Rashad Evans is on the podcast. Rashad, if anyone didn't see it, last Wednesday night, AEW, Jacksonville, you join the great Mike Tyson, Vitor Belfort, Henry Cejudo, and crashing Chris Jericho's inner circle party. Holy crap, I can't believe I bring that up to start the show, bro. That was awesome. It was fun, man. It was fun. Listen, you never know what it's going to be like. Hang on. Tyson's talking about we can go to AEW and hang out with some friends. They asked Tyson to get in it, and uh, we get on stage, and it just gets crazy, man. It gets crazy. I'm but Tyson. listen, listen, I, I'm, I, 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 like, I like professional wrestling. I might get some of that too, man. I didn't know what's so, up. I didn't know it was, it was so fun. You, I didn't know it was so fun. Okay, there was some shoving going on. I want to see your working punch. I want to see you put the hand over the guy's head and it just, just it dig started. in. Yeah, you got to stomp on the ground. I want to see Rashad Evans' blade. Can we get Rashad Evans a blade job here, all right? Because red equals green, Rashad, okay? All right, you will, you willing to leave it all out there, okay? Oh, seriously, uh, I, I don't know. What, I, I'm looking forward to uh, this Wednesday night's episode. I wonder if AEW's building toward a – Mike Tyson, Chris Jericho match? Like, I know Tyson's getting back into training for bot. Is he going to wrestle, Rashad? Can you, t- can you break the fourth? What do you know? You probably know some things. I mean, listen, all I can say is this. Mike Tyson is looking the best that he's ever looked. And in a couple, in a couple weeks, weeks, he's going to commit himself to camp. Oh, okay. 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 I could be down with that. Uh, would you, would you make another appearance? Would you take part? Would you rough? Yeah. I would, oh yeah. I'll I'll definitely think you and Jake Hager throw hands there. Maybe we do a, a home and home series. I'll That's wrap what I'm saying. That's what and I'm then saying. I'll fight you in the Bellator page. You'd go back up to heavyweight again, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I seen Hager. Hager was a big guy, but he wasn't that much bigger than me, man. Listen, oh. I fought Brad Imes. That is true. That is that is definitely true. You peed your pants during that. <laughs> but I respect that, Rashad. Okay, I'm a respecter of that. All right, but uh, you know, shout out to your boy Mike Tyson. We love him. Um, you know, he has a he has a system down when it comes to interviews. You don't do interview with unless I fornicate with them. Well, you know, I I guess I can understand that. Um, how is Mike doing right now though? Uh, in life, just just he looks fired up. Is he happy as heck? Yeah, he's doing good, man. Mike is uh the best that that I've ever. seen. Seen them just mentally and just physically, everything is just clicking together. And, um, you know, for the longest time, Mike didn't want anything to do with fighting. You know, he felt like it just engaged the other side of him that he worked so hard to get rid of. But now he's found a balance in himself that he can welcome that side again and without letting it take over. And it's exciting to see him do that because now he likes to talk about fighting. See, before he didn't really like to talk about fighting, but now he can talk about fighting. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's cool. Oh, man. I'm gonna make you my girlfriend. No, 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 Mike. I don't love you that much. Um, <laughs> uh, 
to close for, for us nerds, uh, did you get to meet Cody? Did you get to meet the uh, AEW crew? Tony Khan? I did. Oh. I did. I got to meet the AEW crew, man. Awesome I'm crew, sorry. man. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 in, the indie show wrestlers, man, those guys are just amazing. I had no idea, like, how athletic and just how fantastic those guys are and, and just stuff they do just like – yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a true art form it really is uh you know king mo our buddy he, he's got that bug as well he's made a made a few appearances uh as well you know running in remember remember dan lambert had that angle in uh, impact wrestling a couple years back colson tebow was involved i hope this is just the beginning for for rashad evans uh i i don't understand why was Sahudo there why was vitor there why were you there i don't know how it happened but i'm glad did, you know That's yeah what do, you, what do you got? Well, I mean, I was going to say, Sahudo so, so and Tyson, they, uh, they, they hang out a lot too. So him and Sahudo so came with them from LA and they were on a trip all the way from Jacksonville. So we just kind of all met up. I saw on TMZ in which he's challenging um, unbeaten lightweight boxing star Ryan Garcia to a fight in the Middle East and claims there's a man with a ton of money that's willing to make it happen. Uh, I mean, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you want to go in there against real boss. Especially young guys at their prime, you know what I'm saying? But hey, right. you know, you know, you've made many bend the knee, okay? But that, I mean, that that's Triple C. Though. Triple C, I was talking to him like, man, how long are you gonna stay retired for? Like, what is this really about? And uh, he was just candid and honest. He's like, listen, Rashad, I, I love fighting. I'm thankful for what it's done. He said, but I'm just not feeling it anymore. Like, hard for me to just like to motivate myself to do it. And, and he said, I, I have a hard time when it's like that, you know. And he said. Uh, it's just not, he just don't feel the same about it. He said it may change. He said, but right now he just don't feel it. Interesting. Interesting. I also saw uh, Dana White was on Eddie Hearn, the boxing promoters uh, video pod. And it's, it, I get the feeling that they're going to work this Zufa boxing thing really will happen. Maybe there'll be some crossovers. Uh, yeah. I, look, I'm not against it. If, it. if it's something where like, we just saw Eddie Hearn put on the freaking YouTube fights that everybody hates. I'd, I'd instead of a YouTube fight, I'd rather see, Eddie Hearn and Dana get together, take Cejudo, match him against the guy where it make it kind of makes sense, you know, where he might have a yeah. chance. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the that was the beauty of 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 Maymac yeah. in the sense that okay, he's never going to be Floyd, right? But it's forty two year old Floyd coming off retirement, so there was that built in like maybe he's got a chance. Uh, maybe we can build, make a couple of those anyway. Uh, good, stay in the gym, Rashad. You never know if that phone's right. going to ring. Okay, Mr. Coke might be. Might be, might be calling you. So get ready. Uh, thank, thank you to the listeners out there. Stay safe, people. Okay, whether you're fighting the COVID, fighting the good fight, uh, be nice to each other, love each other. Okay, but let's not put up with any crap anymore. All right, a lot of us, uh, we got, we got mean uncles and grandpas and parents who say stupid things. Don't let them say stupid things anymore. Okay, let's fight the good fight and just love each other. All right, Rashad, is that, is that too it, hard? Man. Uh, second, second, man. Let love lead the way, and uh, we'll be all right. You know, like Teddy Atlas said. I love you. I'll make you a bet. Yeah, I'll make you a bet. Okay. All right. Yeah, indeed. Uh, follow him at Sugar Rashad Evans on Instagram and Twitter at State Combat at CBS on the Twitter. And uh, check us out after UFC 250 this weekend. Rashad, uh, please deliver a message. Uh, I-